men. We are not simple, chest-thumping, rock-smashing, fire-starting barbarians. We have depth. We intensely feel. We are scared, yet brave. We love to have fun. We're imperfect and make mistakes. We're compassionate and loving. We are multifaceted. Let's explore the reality of masculinity together. All right, today we are talking about a topic that, quite honestly, I, I don't feel like is super clear. A lot of people are mentioning it and it's semi trendy, but I haven't heard too many conversations that really delve into one, what exactly it is, and two, how it can both be a potential pro, but also a massive con, and that is ego. Our egos, and you know, we all have an ego, and what does that look like, and how does that work in our life, and can it be something that's beneficial? And I think it's going to be an interesting conversation because um, aspects just in conversation with Seth, uh, I don't know that we fully agree with one another in this area. And so we're not exactly sure where this conversation is going to land, but at least I think it's important, like I've said before about this podcast, is really to provoke conversation amongst each other, Seth and I, but also amongst you and yourself and your friends to have conversations around what is healthy masculinity. And I think understanding ego, both the pros and potential cons, or the potential pros and the cons is an important thing to dive into. So I guess to start it off with, Seth, for you, how do you see ego or what is ego for you? I guess for me, ego is, or or traditionally, at least my understanding of ego is something attached to being egotistical, right? At least that's where how we've kind of heard it in the past is don't be egotistical. Um, especially as a man, men, I think have a, are more susceptible to being egotistical. Maybe it's that masculine energy, um, but it's always been a negative thing. And my understanding of egotistical is just to have this like, you know, in enlarged sense of self-importance. You know, you'll see people that self-promote themselves all the time, which is not a bad thing, but when it's chronic, like, look at me, look at me, look at me, then you could tell that there's, there's a little something off. And um, I don't know if you remember, well, you do remember, but I'll, I'll recall is that there was a leader in our church men's group uh, a while back when, when you and I first met years ago. And I always noticed that he would self-promote from the stage, right? And I was like, what? What's with this guy? You know, I didn't want to judge, but at the same time, I was definitely judging. Um, but there was, it's just this enlarged sense of self-importance and needing to be feel important, needing to feel significant. And again, at the core of those things are not necessarily bad, but when they come out in a way that's just um, kind of selfish or self-centered is probably a better word for it. Uh, but I don't want to, I don't want to dig too much into it. I just think that that is kind of where we get this negative connotation with ego. And, you know, as we kind of dive into, when we, when we get away from the church and we kind of look at um, different things and kind of the progressive kind of movements, there's always this thing about killing the ego, kill that ego, you know, be humble. And uh, you, the ego is the, is the enemy kind of thing. So 
that's just kind of where it's been at for me the last few years. But, you know, probably more recently in the last year or so, my, my thoughts on that have changed a little bit, which I know we will discuss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not argue yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything that you just said. I, I think that for me, just with working with people, what I have found is, you know, ego, in addition to what you said, a lot of times it's it's what we as men use to create a false sense of safety or security. And what I mean by that is it when it's when I say that it's false, it's because we're using something that isn't authentically us. Because yeah, the 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 struggle or the challenge is how do we embrace our strength as men? But not need the ego to be intact to embrace that strength. And and so I think when you have to, you know, self-promote and prop yourself up, you're you're essentially, you know, it's like you're doing a Tony Robbins stand on the chair, jump up and down, hype yourself up, and you're living from that place. That's not authentic. That's not authentically you. Doesn't mean that yeah. you can't be high energy or you know, confident in who you are, et cetera. But when you have that false sense of safety, I think people more and more, you know, their bullshit detectors getting better and has to because of everything that we're, you know, being shoved down our throats. You can, you can just, like you said, something is off. You can smell it or sniff it out where the energy that they're carrying isn't authentically them. And so, you know, I, I know there's a lot of conversation around the masks that we wear. And so if you're in social settings and, you know, a lot of times I always throw, I love throwing guys for a curveball and say, you know, I, I meet you at a party and I go, oh, well, who is Seth? And 100% of the time, I've never had someone not answer that question with what they do, right? Oh, well, I'm blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, 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 but who are you? Because yeah. for a lot of us, our egos wrapped up in our career and then it's like, well, what happens if your career falls apart or if, you know, you get a demotion or get fired or whatever, if your ego is attached to that, then all of a sudden your sense of self-worth and identity begins to crumble at its core. And, and really it boils down to like this need, you're, you're, when you're pumping yourself up and filling yourself with this ego driver, then you need those external validations. You need the social media likes or comments, or you need to keep promoting yourself to, to stay propped up in that. And to me, that's, that's where I see ego getting in the way for a lot of guys. Um, but again, I, I don't say, I'm not saying that I have the answer for it. I don't know. It's something that I currently wrestle with is how do I embrace my strength? How do I embrace my inner king? How do I embrace my inner badass? Which all of that is good and masculine strength but at the same time let go of my ego i don't i don't like the word kill my ego because yeah. then it's like something that you're at war with right. but how do i how do i let that go like how do i not need that to validate who i am yeah that's a good question and it sounds like you're kind of steering the ship towards or at least what you're describing um when we talk about you know public facing people is you know these uh these coaches nowadays, you know, there's this like, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, 
these coaches that want to help other people become better, but it's like, look at me, look at me. I have all the answers, right? It's the, let me prop myself up so that, and, and essentially it's just like sales. Like they're selling, they're trying to sell themselves. And I think maybe there is an aspect needed for good sales to have that ego. But like you, like you have mentioned off, off the air is that it's something that kind of you, it drives us crazy. Yeah. It's the cheesy car salesman feel. Exactly. Exactly. And I know that that's something that you've kind of been, um, drawing my attention to lately is these, these coaches that, that have this ego. I want to hear from you what it is that you've been seeing and how that's, and let's just kind of pick that apart a little bit. Like let's analyze this ideal egotistical life coach that we're seeing a lot of nowadays. I, I don't even know where to begin with that. I it, just because I'm personally turned off, but also we have a digital marketing agency, so I'm <laughs> neck deep on the things that you know the levers that you can pull to create sales or to generate revenue. And yeah. so I'm probably more sensitive than the average person to the over marketing or the aggressive marketing side of things. Um, just from you know a general, I. I talk to other people. And when I hear them say, Oh, well, you know, I bought this for this reason. And da, 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 da. I'm just like, you do realize you just took that hook, line and sinker. And, yeah. and so, but specifically for men's coaches, there has, in my opinion, been a rise of men who, you know, it's, it's normally they are enlightened or they are, um, you know, they've gone on this journey and now they have found all of the answers and the secret sauce, the secret sauce, you know, and all you got to do is buy the secret sauce for them for $222 or $999. It's always three numbers in a row. Right. And, um, and again, I don't like, I have an online course, a jumpstartyourlife.com and I have coaching. Like I do coaching. So I'm not saying that there's not value in any of that or that ego is exclusively wrapped up in it. But it's, you know, it's the it's the coach that shares something on social media, like a, a snippet, and then somebody else shares it, and then they reshare the other person sharing their snippet, you know, yeah. and just to be able to go, look, so-and-so shared this, and so-and-so shared this, and and that's that's that kind of like overly aggressive, I need to promote myself, I need to validate myself by saying, look over here all these people are talking about what I'm saying or agree with my points. And I think that's when you, to me, that's the turnoff, right? Is being willing to put stuff out there important? Yes. Uh, especially if you're a coach to, to help people understand their inner world. Obviously, we have a podcast that you're listening to. And, you know, I have a blog, like I have all the things. But because my ego's not attached to that, I don't feel the need to aggressively promote and essentially sell myself for my own validation that, yep, you know what? I am a men's coach. I am a psychedelic integration coach. I do have the answers. And if you have this experience, come to me because I'm going to change your life for the better. Would working yeah. with me potentially change your life for the better? I would hope so. And I have feedback from clients that uh, that validate that. but. I'm not needing to, you know, take a screenshot of somebody's email to me saying, you know, we've been working for the last three months and I've completely changed my relational dynamic, both with myself and with others. 
I don't, I don't have to grab that and share that with everybody to go see, told you that th- this is me. Look over here. Look at me. Look at me now yeah. sign up for my course. And, and let me make a delineation because on one hand, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. It's just providing social proof to people that might not be, um, I don't want to say they're lazy, but they might not be as proactive to go grab that social proof to feel like they're making a smart decision by working with you or, you know, anybody else like social proof is, is good, but I am tempted at times to, you know, share the story that somebody just shared of mine, right? That temptation is there because I want to let people know like, Hey, see that people are sharing my stuff. There's validity to it. But, um, you make a good point is that our, our ego does need to be validated. It feels the need to be validated by these external, um, these external sources. And I think that that just, um, you know, we see, we hear the term guru. Uh, we see these coaches out there that are pretty much saying, I've, like we said, oh, we've got the special sauce. I have all the answers. I've gone down this path, down the journey. And now I've got this 12-step process that is going to change your life. Now, maybe they do, maybe they have, I think anybody that tries to set themselves up like that, majority of them, there are some frauds out there still, but people do have a life process they go through. They feel like they can offer something to the world. Um, And I think it's true. I think anybody can go to a coach and get nuggets out of what they have that can be applied to their life that could you know, when applied could change them for the better, or you know, kind of point them in a, in a good direction. However, the delineation is those that say my way is the right way. My way is the way that's going to change your life. I've had people, um, even just really, um, humble coaches that I really respect who don't do that. They don't say my way is the only way. They just say, I've got something that looks like this if you feel like this could help you, then you should join this course kind of thing. And there's been a couple where, you know, I'll, I'll take part of it and, and I'm thinking, okay, that was good. I got a little nugget out of it, but it didn't change my life. But at the same time, I would probably work with them again because I think that everybody should have a coach or somebody in their life coaching them all the time. So, you know, I, I think just steer clear, excuse me, of the the ones that do show that kind of like, I'm the guru, I have all the answers because they are those that most likely are going to need your validation. And therefore there's something a little dysfunctional there. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, again, as an online marketer, I, I think it's important to say, if you go to my sales page, I have testimonies and I have social proof. I'm not saying that those don't work and you shouldn't use them because if you are, then it's ego. It's if you look at if you follow an individual or if you look at, um, you know, one of these coaches or gurus as a whole and they're doing this aggressive self-promoting and it, it, it's that, you know, it's that whole it doesn't feel right. Right. It's, it's a it's these little things, a culmination of little things that as a whole, you're going. The problem is you're drawn to it. Right. Because it does work. But at the same time. I personally don't, because of where I am in my life, I don't want to be coached by someone that I feel is propping themselves up with their own ego because it may, it may give me a shot in the arm and it may get me to produce something temporarily, but it's not actually confronting my core drivers 
it's a lot of times it's like, well, if you like, I, I've met with a coach before that was this kind of a self-promoting guru type. And it's like, well, do breath work, follow me in this breath work. And we're going to start with this breath work and then answer these five questions. And then every morning you need to do X, Y, and Z. And it's a se- in a sense, in my opinion, setting me up for failure because it's not sustainable, right? It's that shot in the arm. It, nor, it, it, it's not exclusively this, but a lot of times coaches who are propped up by their ego normally have a system that will produce a result enough for them to get the feedback that they're looking for, for that validation, and then to continue the self-promotion. But you're going to have off days. You're going to have days like it doesn't give you room to give yourself grace or love or empathy or compassion. It's more so the rah, rah, you know, do breath work, make sure you exercise every day, you know, et cetera, which again, I'm not saying any of those things by themselves are bad, but you're not everyone is built and especially a lot of men are you're we're already hard on ourselves. We already tend to set unrealistic expectations. And so if you find yourself attracted to a coach, it's just like going for it and 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 going for it. You, you, if you're not wired that way, then in a sense, you're setting yourself for long-term, short-term success, maybe, but long-term actual fundamental changes. Um, I, I have yet to see the sustainable aspect of it because it's propped up. Yeah. And I'm drawn to the coaches that are still in process. Those that portray this, like I've arrived kind of, um, perception for people of like, Hey, I've got all the answers. I've arrived. I've figured it out. Tells me that you're thinking you're not, you're no longer in process. There's always something to learn. There's always new development. You know, we won't ever achieve perfection on this side of eternity necessarily. So, you know, we should always be in process. And if you act like you've arrived, then that's a big red flag for me. You know, I am drawn to these coaches that are not only still in process, but are also very um, forthright, you know, upfront, vulnerable, authentic in their process where they share that their life is messy right now, you know, and they're learning some amazing things. And so I think people can look at that and go, wow, you are one, humble enough to share that. Humility is a big um, a big characteristic to look for in a, in a good coach. Um, uh, but also, um, you know, you're human, you're, you haven't arrived, you're still in process. And so I, I can attach myself to that and go, this person's still moving forward, despite the, the hard stuff that continues to show up in their world. But I mean, I want to talk about like, maybe when the ego develops, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but like, when does that kind of get rooted or created in our psyche. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of us, it's in our childhood. You know, we we have what's called in our minds, it's called a default mode network and it is a lot of times established by the time we're anywhere from 7 to 9 years old based on childhood experiences that we have, whether that is, you know, what our definition of love looks like. If mom and dad said that they loved each other or they love you, but it's a really dysfunctional family. And that's what your default mode of love looks like. And, um, you know, you can apply that to anything in life when it comes to relationships or it comes to careers or anything. And so that when that default mode is established, 
then a lot of times what we do is we find or or create or recreate circumstances in our life that that validate that belief system deep down inside and for a lot of us that default mode network that's established as a child is is really what we do to either one define what a norm is or two to give us a sense of safety you know if you have a childhood that has a lot of trauma in it it may be that you know just a classic scenario that i had with a lot of clients is their parents were emotionally or physically abusive and so what did they learn they learned that i need to stay small in order to stay safe and so that becomes a part of my ego right it's so the ego is it yes it's the inflated it's the aggressive it's all of that but really the way that i see the ego is it's the things that create that false sense of safety or it's the things that really anything and this is a broad definition but anything that is hardwired into my heart or my mind that prevent me from accessing the person that i know that i can be or that god created me to be and yeah. and so when you have those experiences as a child and then you solidify it's that whole you can't teach an old dog doing tricks because the older you get if you're not in a journey or a process of doing something about it to confront it or to let go of it i mean i love that you bring up humility because the the individuals not just coaches but individuals that are more humble normally have done have worked through a process of letting go of their ego and so they're not attached to that childhood trauma or attached to those warped definitions and you know the way that i describe it is it's like we get these four lane paved clean polished painted highways in our mind of if this happens i respond this way to stay safe or if this happens i respond this way to prop myself up or if i get confronted in this way i need to respond even bigger to stay safe or whatever it may be and going through a process of confronting why those are there and then learning how to rewrite those whether it's rewriting stories or rewiring your brain which we can get into plant medicine and how that helps you um a lot of times those are established at a really young age when our minds are still developing and and so then as we go through life and begin to re-solidify those if you don't do something that's proactive to disrupt it or to rewire it it's really hard i mean it's why people you know get married and divorced and rinse and repeat four times because they're not changing that ego internally at its core and so then you just recreate the same thing over and over again well i think yeah what happens when there is trauma uh, in the household growing up for children, uh, when there's abuse, when there's dysfunction, they, for, for the, the need or s- the reason of surviving, they take on a specific role, right? And so they take on a particular role within that family dynamic to survive. And a lot of times we, we grab a hold of that role and that we attach our self-worth to it. And then we need to find validation or significance in that role. And it's, it's interesting. I, I'm actually, I've been um, listening to Will Smith's new audio book and he had, a, he had some, uh, some dysfunction in his family, whereas his father was abusive uh, to his mom, only on, on a few occasions, supposedly like physically abusive. 
but he took the role of being the funny entertainer because he felt like if he could keep his dad happy or joyful or laughing, then he would protect the whole family from being abused. But the thing was, then he makes a clear point throughout the whole book is that he was doing this to mask the feeling of being a coward because he couldn't, he did not know how to stand up for his mom, um, to his dad. And so obviously that began to, as we all know who Will Smith is, that worked into this, um, ego of being funny, um, clowning on people, which, you know, morphed into his career, which is great, but all the time he was hiding from this trauma and this, this, uh, this narrative, this self-narrative of being a coward. And so I think a lot of times we do, you know, we do that as we develop that as a child and in, you know, someone could look at that and go, well, that's a good thing. It helped protect the family. Yeah. On one hand it, it was, but at some point it's dysfunctional and it's actually a blocker and holds us back from true greatness. And he does talk about how he had to get over that. We have to be able to look at ourselves, but when we have that wall up, that mask that we show the rest of the world saying, you know, this is who I am. And then we continue to have to double down on that and double down on that. It, it solidifies that wall even further. And we, the world doesn't really truly know who we are, you know, because we have that ego that's protecting us, you know, but like I always like to say, you know, when we started working with plant medicine, it was how do we destroy, how do we take down the ego? Because, you know, that's the thing that's holding the, us back from the rest of the world, knowing us and truly being known and having an open heart and loving people more. The ego is, is keeping us from doing that. And I think what I've come to believe is that um, when I tried to kill my ego, I realized that my ego actually has some good aspects to it, you know, and I don't, I didn't want to completely kill it, but I definitely needed to remove him from the driver's seat. I needed to take him, I needed to dethrone him because when he's ruling, I can get messy. I can hurt people. Um, I can mess things up at work. Uh, it's that kind of that, that, uh, contrast between being either cocky or being confident, confident people, they don't need to be significant and self-important and um, they don't need the world to know how amazing they are. They're just confident in who they are and they go about life making decisions from that confident place. But the cocky person is again, like, look at me, look at me, look at me, self-promoting. So I'm, I'm thinking healthy, having a healthy ego, a relate healthy relationship with our ego might look like having the ego in the backseat that we draw from, from time to time, but he doesn't get to drive the car. Yeah. And I mean, going back to Will Smith, it's like, it did produce a career. He was the funny guy. It did keep him safe, but at what cost? Right. Right. At what cost did that happen? And I know that, I mean, he's publicly said he's, he's sat with ayahuasca, I think 13 times now. Yeah. And it's fascinating if, if you don't uh, follow him on YouTube, he's got a great YouTube channel and it's fun to watch the evolution of him in this last year because when he first launched it, it was it was Will Smith, right? It was I'm facing my fears, I'm doing crazy stuff, I'm, I'm the funny guy, all of that. And it's taken this turn of a, in my opinion, a, a depth in the channel because he is going deeper within himself 
to actually look at the cost. And, you know, he did this, uh, I think it was like a weight loss challenge that he, he just couldn't finish. Right. Yep. And that brought up all kinds of stuff of feeling like a failure. Cause it was, you know, it's well known at Will Smith when he first started, it was like, he knew all his lines and everybody else's lines. And he's just this overachiever. Right. And so yeah, learning to let go of that still produce movies or whatever he's doing, produce success, but letting go, like you said, of that, that unhealthy driver and having it on the throne or, or the, the, the one that is at the forefront, I think is really the evolution of learning how to love yourself, every part of yourself, because when the ego's on the throne, it may be able to produce results. Will Smith's a great example, but feeling like a coward or feeling like these, these deep seated self-hatred drivers in the same, at the same time because the ego was at the forefront, right? It, it was the thing that was the catalyst for everything he was doing. And so everybody loved him, but he couldn't love himself because he yeah. had these deep-seated things that were, that were haunting him, essentially. Yeah, and he, I mean, he will say, like, despite his father's shortcomings, the thing that his father instilled into him was a very strong work ethic and uh, discipline, which he, you know, contributes... Uh, to a lot of the success that he's had is that where people stop working, he keeps driving and driving and driving. It's that discipline. And I think that's kind of, you know, it makes me wonder if people who have a, like a, an unhealthy relationship with their ego, if they're egotistical and they're needing to self-promote and, and have a validation of their self-importance, it's because they don't believe that they're important. They have a major, like you were saying, self-hatred or self-worth issue, um, dysfunction within themselves, and they need the rest of the world to tell them that they're important because they don't believe it themselves. And so they they double down on their ego and they double down again and and they do that because they need somebody to validate because they themselves internally are just a mess. They don't realize how amazing they are. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this is probably a whole nother podcast, but an exercise that I would have people do just to touch on this point is, you know, a lot of us, we see shortcomings in our dad or our mom, our parents, whatever it may be, whoever raised you. And I think it's important to, in order to guard your heart from becoming bitter and just in that journey of self-love and gratitude is you know, I'd have them write a letter to their parents, their dad in this situation. And it would be like, you know, you cost me this, this hurt. I felt betrayed in this way. And and just getting it out, getting the brutal honesty out of you. And then, you know, they would bring in the letter, we'd work through it. And then the, the next week's homework was to actually burn that letter to, to let go of that, to do a physical kind of ceremony around letting go of of that pain, and then to actually write another letter of gratitude of, you know, because you weren't there, I've learned this strength because of this, you know, of of my relationship with you. Um, You know, you taught me X, Y, or Z, or I'll use my dad as an example. You know, he's 
memorized like a third of the Bible and is a deeply spiritual person. He, he fell short in a lot of ways, but my spirituality, even though you know it's evolved over the years, I attribute a fair chunk of my spirituality to my dad leaning into his spirituality, right? And so, yes, he uses that to, to play the victim role and to essentially sit on the couch and wait for God to do things in certain ways. But at the same time, he exposed me to it. And so the, the part of me that is curious about spirituality and leans into my relationship with God, et cetera, that was modeled to me by my dad when it was not modeled to him by my grandpa. And, and so I think it's important to acknowledge the pain and the shortcomings, but also acknowledge the strength that you have because of the pain and shortcomings to, to flip that pain into um, almost fuel for your greatness and to, to learn how to come in a posture and a position of gratitude instead of bitterness. Yeah, and I, I know as a father, and and there's many of of those that are listening. Uh, I know for you and I, Josh, like we've wanted to be the ones that stood in the gap for our family line, you know, to to disrupt the the generational things that are um, that are passed down, the negative things. And but we're not perfect, you know. We just want to do it better than the generation before us. We want to take the good things that we get from our parents, try to disrupt the the negative things, and pass them on to our, our kids, but we know we're not going to do it perfectly, unfortunately. But uh, I too, I mean, when I was a uh, young father, early fatherhood, which I'm still in, but just when they were babies, they, um, I would still, ha- I would see parts of my dad come out of me that I'm like, Oh, I don't like that. You know? And I had to change, you know, I had to actively choose to change because I became aware of it. And a lot of times it's just awareness. And a lot of times our ego keeps us from being aware of those things. And it's, and most of the time, if we're just aware of something, it can change almost automatically. It's almost a quantum physics thing. But um, I know for me, and in, in, in regards to the self-worth thing, it wasn't until I started falling in love with myself for the first time that the ego, my relationship with the ego began to change. And I think that's why working with plant medicine was so important was because the whole point of working with plant medicine is to fall in love with ourselves, to find that worth that gold that's inside of us, that innate um, beauty that we were created with. And once that starts happening, then that's when that cocky or egotistical part of us begins to um, be healed you know, or changed. Uh, we begin to develop a different relationship. We say, okay, we don't need you to take care of us anymore, ego, egotistical ego. We don't want you to leave, but I need you to take a new role. Be the confident person that we need when we're in a business meeting or we need to make life decisions. Like, I need you to be confident. I need you to be decisive. I need you to be strong and help me with that, especially when I'm scared. But I don't need you to drive us anymore out of protection. Yeah, absolutely. And I I love that, you know, all the science that's coming out around plant medicine in the last couple of years, because one of those things is that it's, it's now shown scientifically that psilocybin specifically it actually restricts the blood flow to your default mode network at the same time is firing other neurons in your brain that are not normally firing. And so, you know, people say, well, it expands your consciousness. Well, it literally does that because it gives you a, an opportunity to see things differently or to confront things differently that maybe you didn't see or realize. 
And, you know, using the analogy of the highway, it's like those highways, even if they're unhealthy, you know, they're, they're established and you can choose to essentially take a machete, you know, meet with a counselor for five years and slowly hack through a jungle to create a new pathway. And eventually that becomes a, a, a pathway that you take, but psilocybin, it's like, instead of the machete, you get a bulldozer and, and right. you know, it, it's, it's still work. You still have to do the work. And that's why the integration component of it's so important after those experiences where you have insights or revelations. And, and so you, you know, I, I think that personally, I think that the integration component of plant medicine is as important, equally important as the experiences themselves. Otherwise, you just start hopping from one ceremony or experience to another, and you basically become an experience junkie instead of actually doing anything to change your life. But it actually allows you to build those new pathways, which is letting go of the ego or telling the ego to sit in the back seat and, and to be there to be available. But you begin to at its core, respond differently to yourself and to others in, you know, relational situations, et cetera, because yeah, you're falling more in love with yourself, but you're also practically speaking, you're rewiring your brain to align with the love that you're finding for yourself. Yep, absolutely. And so I would just, you know, I would encourage anybody that's listening to, you've probably heard it before to try to kill the ego. And I know that's something that's really kind of been popular probably in the last 10 years, at least as far as I'm aware, but to actually not necessarily kill your ego. Cause we've talked about that in the past. There's times where we look at our childhood and we're like, oh man, I don't like that guy, man. My teenage self was such an asshole, you know? And I don't, I, and you despise that part of you. But the thing is that that, that is a part of you. That's who you are. And when you start trying to, when you start uh, despising different parts of you, you perpetuate a self-hatred instead of embracing and showing grace and love for that teenage Seth, uh, which trust me, I did. I look back on myself and I was like, man, I just wish I was a better person. I can't stand that guy until someone said, you need to stop. You need to stop hating yourself because that's, that's still you. And, and he needs you to love on him the way that he wasn't loved before. And that was a part of self-acceptance, part of self-love and a part of my ego. And so when you start to embrace them, love them, forgive them, those different parts of you, those different ages of you, you begin to develop uh, a better relationship and love with the ego. You embrace the ego and you begin to work with your ego better. And it's not that egotistical negative ego that we talk about, but it is one that can you can leverage in your life and in your world. Um, And I don't, I'm not, I can't encourage anybody to work with plant medicine. I can only say that it has worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, the constant disclaimer, it's not legal in all states and countries and we're not doctors, nope. et cetera. But I think the, um, the tide is turning in a lot of that. So it, you know, I, I, it's a very common thing that the plant medicine will call you when you're ready. Right. And so right. I think just trusting that, that if you're getting that nudge to, just be willing to go outside of your norm and and plant medicine or just life in general to go outside of your norm and to follow those nudges, whatever it may be. Um, But yeah, I'd I'd be curious to hear, you know, if you're listening and I know that 
killing the ego is the common and and finding a new place for the ego is maybe a different approach but what is it that you think like is is mm. ego a good or a bad thing um you know like i said in the beginning the whole point of this is to have those conversations and so i would love to hear people's feedback on this one specifically you know whether it's just leaving feedback on the podcast wherever you're listening to it to just leave a comment or you can even find us on instagram at multifaceted masculinity and either shoot us a message or leave a comment on one of the posts to just extend the conversation around ego and and to weigh in because we want to have that dialogue that conversation around these topics but all that said, I think regardless of how you may perceive ego, it's important to understand that we all have it, that the temptation to inflate it is definitely present and real. And those that find themselves later in life or as you progress in life, that find peace within as well as humility in their relationships and just their lens on life are normally the ones that are willing to at least take a look at their ego and change their relationship to, to have it morph and mold into a healthy one, whether that is killing it or put it, putting it in its place, whatever it may be. But part of being a well-rounded, healthy man is being willing to at least look at your ego and see where it's getting in the way and blocking your relationships. <laughs>